today's sermon talks about a God sighting. It's a little bit Christmassy and a little bit 2020, and uh, that's kind of the way the wise men were in our story. They're coming after Christmas, okay? After what we celebrate is the birth of Christ, uh, probably several weeks, maybe months, up to two years later. And so it's fitting that we do this after Christmas because the, the wise men, known as the Magi by many, they actually came after the birth of Christ several days, weeks, probably months, even a couple years later perhaps. By the time they get there, uh, the family, Jesus and Mary and Joseph, uh, they're not uh, where they were at that stable or that cave, that open pen, or some say it was a, a room connected to a house. They're not there. They're in a house, it tells you in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. So I want to look at that today. I also got to tell you, we're going to be a little bit old school. My computer had a major glitch this week, and so we don't have any sermon notes for you, and you're going to have to use your own Bible or cell phone, or tablet, whatever you have, because there'll be nothing on the screen to help you. So how many think maybe you can do that today, okay? All right. There are a few Bibles there, too, if you want to check one of those out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love and the opportunity now to look at your word. And thank you for the beauty of music. Bless this time as we look at your word together. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, begins like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These magi, the King James Version calls them wise men, may have been experts in the study of the stars, as well as religious and political advisors to eastern kings. Some say they were astrologers. Tradition tells us that there were three. Why do you think they say there were three? Because there were three gifts, right? Gold. What's the next one? Myrrh, and the last one, frankincense. But the Bible doesn't say how many magi or wise men there were. They're not mentioned by name. Gold was the gift of royalty. Frankincense was believed by many to carry prayers to heaven. As our high priest, Jesus, would be the one who would ever live to make intercession for we as believers... Myrrh was used for embalming by the Egyptians and for healing sores and wounds. Frankincense and myrrh were once considered effective remedies for everything from toothaches to leprosy. Sounds kind of like the essential oils of our day, perhaps. The Magi were highly educated and very intelligent. They were probably skilled in philosophy, natural science, and in medicine. They may have been teachers and instructors of Persian kings. The wise men or magi had traveled some distance, perhaps from Persia or modern-day Iran. This means they would have traveled some 800 to 900 miles 
to see the Christ child. This was a high priority. And they had come from the east, and they were seeking the one who was born, king of the Jews. Actually, they were seeking one who was much greater than the king of Jews. He was the king of kings. And the Lord of lords, Isaiah says, the, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. They would be seeking the very God. They don't understand all of this. But they'd be seeking the very God of the universe who came as a child, as a baby, born for you and for me. The Bible has a lot to say about seeking God. First, you must make seeking God a priority. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I was visiting with my parents over the Christmas holidays, and my dad said that's one of his very favorite verses. And he says, everyone should memorize Matthew 6.33. If you have not memorized that, it's a great verse to know. But seek ye, say it with me, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We should seek God above everything. Psalm 119, verse 10 says, With my whole heart I will seek you. Can you feel the passion and the priority? How many of you have ever done anything half-heartedly? Probably all of us, right? We just finished singing. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you did it kind of half-heartedly? Anybody here watch any football or basketball games yesterday? A lot of you, right? How many of you, when you watch that basketball game between UK and Louisville, or you watch one of those football games, you were watching with a passion. Some of you were shouting at the TV set. Some of you, I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, I got an Oklahoma fan back there. I know he was shouting at it. It wasn't good, was it? That's probably the one day of the year where it's better to be a Missouri fan like I am than it was an Oklahoma fan, but it won't last long. <laughs> but many of you were watching with passion. And some of you were not watching very passionately at all, right? Oh, my husband's got the game on, or my wife's got the game on. I ain't really watching it. But we should see God with a passion, with an intensity. That is greater than we seek anything else in this life. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, You will seek the Lord and you'll find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and all your soul. Can you feel the passion and the priority? In Jeremiah 29.11-13, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, He told His people. They're for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And He says to them, You will seek Me and you'll find Me when you seek for me, how? With your whole heart. God told his people through the prophet Jeremiah to seek him with his, their whole heart. He's told us to do the same. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. With your whole heart, seek the face, the heart, the purpose, the plan of God. Seek God first. There's a great blessing in seeking the Lord, but it must be a priority. You must also seek God his time. Isaiah 55, 6 says to seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Hosea 10, 12 says it's time to seek the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You don't always get to pick your time. Anybody here ever crossed the Dixie Highway at the corner of the Dixie Highway and Ring Road? It's a busy intersection, right? And when you get there, there's normally either a red light or a green light. Correct? How many of you, when you've seen a red light and you're coming across the Dixie Highway on Ring Road, said, I know the light's red, but I'm going anyway? You probably wouldn't be here today if you did that. Right? It's not a very good idea. How many of you, when you're driving down the Dixie Highway, right where it meets Ring Road, it's green. You think, you know what, I just think I'll stop. How many of you think that would be a good idea? <laughs> boom, 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 behind you, right? About six car collision. Why? Because you have to stop at the right time. You have to go at the right time. You have to follow the instructions. Well, God gives us instructions. We've got to seek Him. We've got to follow Him. We've got to trust Him. We've got to obey Him. We've got to follow His direction, His purpose, His plan, His timing. Think about the people of Israel. When they were out there in the wilderness, on the way to the promised land, when they got to the doorstep of the promised land, uh, they decided, we cannot go in. There's giants in the land. And... Uh, then just a little bit later, they realized they made a mistake. So they said, well, we'll go in now. What did God say? No, you're not. You're going to wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years because you did not go in my timing. God is calling us to follow him, to obey him. We don't always get to pick the way and the time that we do it. Correct? In 2020, we're emphasizing God's sightings. We're encouraging you to read the Bible. We're encouraging you to watch where God is working in your world when you go to school, when you go to work, in your Bible reading, in your prayer time, whatever you're doing, you watch for God. You join Him in what He is doing in this world and see what God does. It's going to be incredible. When it comes to seeking God in general... There's no time like the present. Hosea 10, 12 says it's time to seek the Lord. In Amos 5, 4, God says, seek me and live. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, God is the reward of those who earnestly, diligently seek him. We look for fulfillment in all the wrong places. Have you noticed? What if an alien, not that I believe in aliens, but if an alien were to visit our planet. And they didn't really know anything about us, but they just watched what we did, and they were going to determine by what they saw us doing what our priorities really were. How many of you think that uh, maybe the aliens would think that we worship a little bitty box? For some of us, it might be a great big box, 50, 60, 70 inch box for the television, right? Because we spend so much time staring at our boxes. But that's not really our priority, is it? Our priority must be our God. We must make seeking God a priority. We must realize that God is seeking us more 
then we're seeking him. Romans 3, 10, 11 says, there is none righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. God is the initiator in our relationship with him. Not you, not me, God is the initiator. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. He was the initiator in that. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God is the initiator in that. Jesus said no one can come to him unless the Father draws him to himself. God is the initiator in our salvation. And he's speaking to you and he's drawing you to himself. Will you say yes to him? Will you say yes to God? While he's speaking to you. God is the initiator. And we are the responder. He's, he's calling you today. The Magi came seeking, the king, seeking the king, and Herod responded by opposing the king. Herod was a great builder and could be very generous. He built the great temple in Jerusalem in the famine of 25 BC. He melted down his own gold plate to buy corn for starving people. But Herod was also ruthless. And jealously insane, insanely jealous, excuse me, probably both. He would even kill his own family to protect his power. He murdered his own wife and her mother. A lot of things run through my mind there, but I'm not going to comment on that. I got a great mother-in-law, by the way, just saying. He also assassinated three of his own sons. Augustus, the Roman emperor, once said bitterly that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. A lot of Jews hated Herod. If someone comes born king of the Jews, Herod's probably thinking, my job is in jeopardy. Now, here come the Magi riding into town with a burning question. Where is he who has been born? The king of the Jews. How do you suppose Herod, who's called Herod the king, is going to respond to that? Knowing that he is an insanely jealous man. You don't have to guess. Go to verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Guess what? If Herod ain't happy, there ain't nobody happy. Go to verse 4. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Then he said to him, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These priests knew the scriptures that pointed to the Savior. They quoted here from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. They knew the truth. 
they did not obey the truth. Think about it. They were five miles away in Jerusalem for the very Son of God in Bethlehem. Yet they did not go to see him. Verse 7. Then Herod, the king, secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I, I too may come and worship him. How many of you think Herod's telling the truth here? How many think Herod's really going to go seek the king who's been born uh, in order to worship him? If you believe that, I got some beachfront property I want to see you about after the service. I'd be glad to sell it to you if you have a really good price. He's not coming to do that. He's not going to go worship Jesus, okay? Notice three different responses to the news about Jesus, the king of the Jews. First, the wise men were seeking the king. This was their priority. They came from a long way off. They came seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. In verse 16, we see scriptural evidence of just how ruthless Herod was. Then when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew, get this, all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. How tragic. When Herod heard that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, he has every single boy from two years old and under killed to try to destroy this one who is said to be born king of the Jews. There are still people opposing Jesus Christ and the teaching of his word today. Sadly, that number is still growing in the United States of America. If you don't believe that, you're hiding under a rock. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. It always has been. It always will be. People don't want to accept the truth that there really is a heaven. And there really is a hell. And people who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead will one day go to a horrible place called hell. The world does not want to accept that. They don't want to accept the truth that Jesus gave us in John chapter 14 verse 6. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. A lot of people in the world might say, well, he's one possible option, but he cannot be the option. Jesus said, I am the option. I'm not a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A lot of people are offended when we say that if you disobey God and the teaching of his word, you're guilty of sin. And sin is offensive to God. One reason why people are offended is because of the very nature of the gospel. But the other reason, to be totally honest, 
why people are offended is because of us. We the church. Listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. But that does not mean that we are to be offensive. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're to be the kindest and most thoughtful, generous people the world could ever see. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad I got to sit by you today. <laughs> Tell them you're looking good this morning. Now say, why didn't you get me anything for Christmas? That's how we act, right? It's a setup. For most of us, our witness is not so much terrible as it is inconsistent. We're like the guy who had his brother-in-law, Bubba, check out the blinker on his car. He wasn't sure if his blinker was working, and so he tells his brother-in-law, Bubba, can you go back to the back of the car and see if the blinker's working? So Bubba goes to the back of the car. He's staring at it really closely. And the brother-in-law, who's the driver, is a little smarter than Bubba, flips the blinker on. He yells back to Bubba. He says, is the blinker working, Bubba? Bubba's looking at the blinker. He says, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. That's the way a lot of us are with our Christian life. Are we following Jesus? Are we being a witness to the world? Yes, no. Yes, no. Yes, no. It just depends on the day and the time when the circumstances going on. God says we need to consistently let our light shine so that others may see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. I once heard about a small college town that had a tavern that was frequented by many of the students. It ran an ad in the campus paper during the days before the parents' weekend. The ad read like this, bring your friends for lunch Saturday. We'll pretend we don't know you. The ad was soon challenged by the college chaplain who posted a revised version of the, on the campus bulletin board. It read like this. Bring your parents to chapel Sunday. We'll pretend we do know you. <laughs> Let me encourage you. Don't pretend. Live consistently the Christian life with all of your heart. Seek the face of God. Read the Word of God. Drink it in. Listen to it, memorize it, meditate on it, and follow Him. Trusting in God as we follow Him throughout each and every day. The wise men were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. The religious leaders were ignoring the king. These priests knew the scripture. They even pointed others to the Savior. But they did not go to worship him themselves. They quoted from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 in the Old Testament, but they did not obey it. They were five miles from the very Son of God, yet they did not go to see him. The religious leaders knew better. They knew the scripture, but they did not obey the scripture. Let me encourage you to, to know the scripture. 
but don't just know the Scripture. Obey the Scripture. Follow God's Word, His teaching in your life. Tragically, in our church-soaked, Bible-built society, we're too often guilty of the same as these religious leaders. Too many of us have just enough religion to be inoculated. Yes, we've heard the story of Christmas, and we believe it, at least intellectually, that Jesus was born as a virgin, that he grew up, lived a perfect, sinless life, one day died on the cross for our sin, rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. One day he's coming back again. I would guess that nearly all of us know that and believe that. But here's the question. Are we living like we really believe that? When the Magi came, they came giving at Christmas. At Christmas, they came giving. At Christmas, we give lots of, lots of presents, do we not? How many got anything for Christmas this year? About six of you, okay. How many of you gave anything for Christmas? You got more people who gave than received. Well, that's a good thing, I guess. But too often, we give gifts to everyone except Jesus. Imagine a birthday party. And we all came. But we all gave gifts to each other. But we didn't give gifts for the one. To the one. We were celebrating. That'd be a little odd, would it not? Let me encourage you. I know Christmas is already gone, but we're still kind of in that season. To give. Generously. To your God. One way you can do that is through the Lottieman Christmas offering. Another way you can give is by giving to God's church. Jesus Christ died for the church. But don't just give financially. The greatest giving that you can give to God is giving of yourself. Let Jesus Christ have your life. Not just a part of your life, but all of your life, moment by moment.